When I got home, I did not want to go out again. I did not yet know the intimate details of my body decoration, whether I could trust it when I went out in public. Besides, I was tired, tied to my very centre, broken. I ate small, tentative meals, lost weight by the day, could not locate the right words to say to Les. In those first weeks at home, I cancelled the creative writing job at the boys' school in Brisbane and tried to shut down my fears of what would happen when my money ran out. We decided to sell the warehouse. It was too noisy, too dark, too unsuitable. I knew, of course, that it was not our place of abode from which we wished to escape. I rang the obstetrician I had originally consulted over the fistula to get her opinion on whether or not I should continue breastfeeding. She said that of course the final decision was up to me, but there was some evidence that the hormonal changes resulting in giving up breastfeeding would be beneficial to my vagina spontaneously healing. She seemed to think that the damaged area around the fistula might have a better chance once my vagina was fully estrogenized. You know, of course, that I never had a problem breastfeeding, Elliot. Astonishingly, right up until this moment, my breasts remained full of milk. I had fought and fought to keep breastfeeding Caspar on a diminished milk supply, and now I found myself in the opposite situation, brimming with milk, yet having to give breastfeeding up. I felt I had to stop breastfeeding to give my body its best chance. That same night, I opened Elliot's first tin of formula. He refused to drink it. One morning, Tracy came over to take me to the hairdressers. My mother was still down, and we talked about Tracy's mother, June, who is my mother's oldest friend. June was sick in Brisbane, suffering a mysterious affliction that had the doctors puzzled, problems with her balance, odd pains which came and went. With Tracy holding my arm, we walked together down the street and I felt stiff with self-consciousness. Thankfully, the hairdresser was also a friend and I was relieved to see there would only be the three of us in the salon. I sat with my hand over the colostomy, as if holding my guts in, not daring to tell Libby the full story. Only later did I come to understand that in not revealing the full story, I also cut myself off from support. In those first weeks, a home-based nursing service sent a stomal therapist out to check on how I was going. She told me that most normal bowels move twice a day, but I was lucky as mine appeared to move only once. She supervised me putting on the pouch and wanted to take the stitches out around the wound because they didn't seem to be falling out as they should. I didn't want her to touch me. I'd had enough of people coming at me with scissors and knives. I wrote in my notebook, Stay away from me, with your knives, your penises, your probes. A few real estate agents came to assess the warehouse. A slick, good-looking agent told us that we shouldn't lose any money, but we probably wouldn't make any either, as it was generally not good practice to buy and sell a property within the year. Neither Les or I cared about making money. We only wanted to get out without losing any. Both Mum and Les thought it was a good idea that I go up to Queensland in the meantime to recuperate. I knew they were worried about me. I was having trouble putting one foot in front of the other. Melbourne, Queensland, the moon, it was all the same to me. I hardly cared about anything. I supposed I still loved Les and the boys, 
but it was a dull kind of love, as if buried too deep to locate. <laughs> 